Welcome back, everyone, to the Cross the Crown podcast. I'm done just guessing what episode it is. It's a good episode. That's all that matters. <laughs> I will be wrong on that. But it is Josh Copen and Doug Gooden. Doug is our uh, wonderful uh, friend and uh, guy who's been running this podcast for a while, the Cross the Crown ministry. And uh, this podcast, I don't know how long you've been, like four or five iterations of it we joked about, but how long has this podcast been going? Two, three years now? Uh, yeah, three years, I think. Two yeah. Months, something like that. We've been getting some feedback, getting emails. We appreciate those. We appreciate everyone who listens, no matter how you listen or why you listen. We thank you for to this episode 94. 94. For the record, yes. That's so right. Thank you for yes. listening to episode 94. Right, and 93, <laughs> 92, 91, and all the way back. We're about to sing 99 episodes of Cross the Crown on the Wall. I don't know how that would work, but uh, <laughs> Doug, uh, thank you. We, we received a question. We will address that at the end of this episode. It was a really good question. It ties in with last week's on Romans 13, vaccines, mandates, and things. We don't want to, that's been beaten to death, and we've tried to avoid that, but we understand Christians want to talk about what's going on and what's affecting their lives, and that's why we do this. And uh, one, first of all, uh, I meant to call you Brother Doug, or some people say Pastor Doug, and I kind of like, when I was in the South, everyone was brother, right? When I was living in Birmingham, brother this, brother that, which is fine. You know, or Sister Mary Jean on the South, everyone's got two names, Sister Mary Jean, Sister Kathy Gray, Sister whatever. Now, are you, do you like that? Do you like the semi-formality of it? Um, I'm always kind of curious with the the cultural aspects when you go to a church and it's like, hey, don't forget to talk to elder brother Steve when it comes (laughs) to the meeting coming up or something like that. So I'm just curious and I know this kind of flows into where we're going. That's why I'm asking. So yeah, it's a fun, fun question. Um, so we have this uh, wonderful lady in our church who uh, insists on calling me Pastor Doug, mm-hmm. and I have always uh, made it clear that I don't need that uh, title. Just call me Doug. That's my name. Now I do say to parents, if you want your children to learn respect for authority and that kind of thing, and uh, encourage them, then that's great. But adults, I'm happy for them to call me my, my first name, but she always refers to me as Pastor Doug. So I then began to refer to her as parishioner Leanne. Uh, it's like, you know, you're, uh, it's my title, it's my job title, but it's not my name. Now we do that with certain roles like doctor, such right. and such, and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, we don't do it so much with elders. I don't hear that very often, uh, pastors, but not elders, which is interesting. And, uh, and then, uh, brother. So until, yeah, that's nice. That just, uh, is a nice affectionate way to say that we're, we're family here. Um, So I don't particularly care one or the other about the title pastor. I don't Mm -hmm. ever ask people to call me that. I don't refer to myself as that very often, Um, but I get it. It's kind of part of the culture and everything, but I don't see anything in scripture. I doubt that anybody called the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul, like we do, but I doubt anybody addressed him as the apostle Paul when they talked to him. Um, We live in a somewhat America is less and less formal, but still somewhat formal society that we like titles. Some people want it because they feel they've earned it. I've earned this. Right. And we don't do that with or we do that. Certainly, if you've been in the military, we automatically General Pace, General Miley. Whatever about him, but that's not (laughs) the point. Uh, Whomever. But they've earned that respect. And in some degrees, I feel like the pastor has earned the title. Uh, It's just odd that we might show a specific position, more respect than others. Um, but as human beings, we shouldn't, there shouldn't be any difference between the old ladies being coming faithfully to church for 80 years and singing off key. She should be treated with the same respect as 
the the pastor. The position automatically seems to give someone more respect for some reason. Well, we are told to give double honor to the elders who are full time, mm-hmm. right? So the second honor that Timothy, the Paul's telling Timothy about is financial. So the first honor presumably is just the honor that is due that person. And uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know, regard those who who teach you and over you uh, also with respect, that kind of thing. We see that in Hebrews. So I, I don't think that's inappropriate. I just find the distinction between pastors and elders, that's not a biblical one in my mind. So let's call, let's refer to all of the elders with the same kind of respect. And certainly we should respect everyone, but the Bible does give a, a unique honor to church leaders. I do like the distinction, though. I'm not saying I'm against it. I kind of like it. This is pastor, you know, and you grow up as a as a kid, certainly in a in the churches I've grown up. There's Pastor Mike, there's Pastor Jeff, mm-hmm. there's Pastor whomever, Pastor Street, whether first or last name. As a kid, it was it was very honoring, I think, to, to have that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it shows that this person is to be revered, too, for what they're doing. It's why we ended last week's episode. I ask people to pray for you, pray for pastors. They do face a different challenge than the everyday believer. I mean, the Bible mm-hmm. makes that clear. And um, again, I can't, maybe next week we can do the, the episode about where we talk about what Satan's doing and how things work. Uh, I'm just always curious about the title. So Brother Doug, if you would like to <laughs> uh, proceed into today's topic, and that is Christian liberty. We have talked mm-hmm. a lot about the law of Christ. We have talked about uh, vaccines and the liberties there and things like that, and masks and whatever. But I want to get into the culture and liberty. And that has been in our face as Christians. Um, what should we watch? What shouldn't we watch? For example, Game of Thrones has been a hot topic. I know we're a little late to that, but uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a couple of blogs on the Gospel Coalition site. Occasionally they have good things on there about this is wrong. You shouldn't be watching this. This is porn. And then David French, shockingly, came out and goes, no, freedom, blah, 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 blah. I watch it. And then uh, Kevin Young's like, I can't believe I have to write a follow-up saying, how is this okay? So here's my question to you. Where's the line of, I can watch this. It's part of my Christian liberty and freedom. So versus, you know, 1 Corinthians 9, Romans 14, other places, Galatians about freedom. They will run to those. Um, We hear it with swearing. What do we do with culture and freedom that, or even drinking or all those things as Christians? Okay, another easy one. I appreciate that, yeah. Well, that's what we do here. I mean, if you want to discuss an easy thing like, uh, you know, what does it mean to love thy neighbor? No, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, maybe I would push back on the question a little bit and say, where is the line? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that yeah. uh, we can say there is a line in some of these things. I mean, th- th- there is, of course, but um, what you're asking is not the obvious. Uh, everyone agrees you should not be participating in that and doing that, but right. it gets cl- oh, further away from over there where what do we do with it? So uh, it's first, I guess uh, my first thought is, number one, Jesus is our judge. Uh, you mentioned Kevin DeYoung and David French. Those guys are not our judge. I'm not your judge. You're not my Mm -hmm. judge, brother Josh. Um, Or even if you were pastor Josh, you would not be my ultimate judge here. Um, So we need to remember that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And it's his his view that matters here. Uh, Secondly, the scripture says things like whatever is not of faith, is sin. Right. Romans 14, 23. 
Yeah, very good. Thank uh, you. For those who don't know, Josh has taken the Romans class at NCST, so he's got Romans memorized and uh, knows it all. Um, and so that leads us to the idea of, you know, whatever, if you can't do this in good conscience is kind of the idea. If, if you can't do this believing mm-hmm. this is pleasing to the Lord, then you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, so that's that's another starting place here is, okay, is my conscience clear as I go forward in whatever activity or whatever you're talking about? Now, there's a danger there. Uh, the scripture also says our conscience can be seared. Our conscience can be hardened. We can fool ourselves. How many times have all of us uh, later on regretted something we did in good conscience? Because we realized we were just telling ourselves lies and believing what we wanted to believe because we really wanted to do that thing. And yep. later on, nope, that was sin, shouldn't have done it. And our conscience was probably telling us that, but we ignored it uh, to our peril. So um, it doesn't mean just because you have peace about it. I hear that all the time. Christians say, I have peace about this. Well, that means nothing. Uh, it just means your, your conscience is not bothering you, but it doesn't mean that God is giving you peace in this decision. That's not how it works. So just because I have peace about uh, doing whatever it is you're asking doesn't mean that I should and can go about it. So that's where the starting place that's still not aligned, right? That's still not uh, answering your question. So which one do you want to tackle first? Well, let's say um, I just had a, a conversation with a friend. We were had a, a loving but firm conversation to bring it back to vaccines. And then I called the pastor. I'm like, we've made our, our views known. We understand theirs. We're not, we, we're not sure this conversation needs to happen. And, and he's like, yeah, if it reaches that point, just think about first Corinthians nine, it's a freedom thing. Um, so, and he said, I watch R-rated movies. Some people don't. And that's completely fine. And so that's what made me think about this topic was, mm-hmm. for example, if you were to watch an accurate movie about World War II, say Saving Private Ryan or the Band of Brothers series, there's a very good chance it's got to be R-rated because of the violence. And I've talked to some World War II veterans, sadly, who have passed on, who were strong believers, said, it's hard not to swear when a grenade goes off near you. It's like, you know, it's just kind of there. There are things that you struggle with as a believer. And so let's let's maybe not dismiss the fact that those war movies have language, because when you're in that, so I'm not excusing it, it's kind of what happens. So there's that line. But then there is the Game of Thrones line, which was borderline pornography or softcore porn. It doesn't matter. It's bad that Christians were watching and loving the series. And I'm like, why can't you just read the book? You know? Um, So, but I don't know, maybe the book shows the explicitness, uh, you know, as well. So I guess that's the question. Let's start with movies and visual medium. Yeah. uh, I think anyone who trusts the rating system is uh, is a fool. Uh, Just because it has an R rating means nothing. Mm -hmm. PG 13, PG G rated. You know, I wouldn't let our kids watch the lion King when they were young Hmm. because I didn't want that worldview getting in their heads. Now, when they got older and could have differentiated that I didn't care so much, but, you know, that's G-rated. Uh, think about all of the um, the Disney movies that are fraught with horrible worldview. The, even all the romance, the the princess prince idea that the, the men, you know, just uh, uh, lay down their... Um, every their manhood basically for the for the princess and it's all about the princess and the frozen all you know the frozen is there's a lot of stuff in there i don't want yeah. my kids to to mimic and and adopt as a worldview so the rating system itself is is nonsense um so let's let's talk about the uh, the, the sexual content which yes. is kind of the the top line there mm-hmm. one of the things uh i think it was doug wilson that i first heard make this distinction but it's very helpful for me um, 
you know, when you watch a movie that's very violent, right? They are fake guns, for instance, shooting non-existent bullets and ketchup packs showing the blood bursting on the mm-hmm. on the chest kind of thing. So no one is actually killing anyone in that movie. Now that doesn't mean it's automatically safe. I'm just saying the act of shooting a fake gun is not sinful. And the act of pretending like you got shot is not sinful. Okay. When it comes to sexuality, those two people are actually performing a sexual act and they are not married. So there is a difference because people will say, well, you, you say we shouldn't watch movies that have nudity, but you watch people, you know, killing all the time or doing drugs all the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, again, they're not actually doing drugs. They are actually engaged in the sexual activity because there's no way to fake that. Um, so that, that is at least one, uh, one thing I want to get out of people's minds that it's all in the same bucket. No, it's not all in the same bucket. Um, I, you know, it's a hard question, frankly. Um, I don't think it's a matter, merely a matter of preference. Uh, you know, the Bible does not say looking on a naked woman is sin. It says lust is sin. Okay, fine. But then we get guys, you know, playing games in their head and this, you know, women are also uh, easily, uh, uh right. lustful as well. So it's not just a man thing, but you know, men start playing games with this. Oh, I'm not really lusting. I'm not really looking at that. I can, I can fast forward through it and not even notice. Maybe you can, but maybe you can't. And maybe you're playing games with yourself. Um, you know, one of the rules that, uh, I would go by is would you let your 10 year old son watch this movie? That's answer is probably if, if it's no, then why is it okay for 40 year old dad, 50 year old dad to watch this movie? Well, I'm more mature. What does that have to do with it? Well, I can handle this. Well, what do you mean by that? Are you just talking and, about and again, the context I, of nudity or yes. because there it, may be some violent things I wouldn't let my kids watch that I would watch? No, I'm talking about uh, sexuality and nudity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and just, you know, again, so the question would be, okay, you're saying it's not okay. I think everybody probably agree. Yeah. Every Christian would agree. I don't want my 10 year old watching game of Thrones. Now I don't, I, I don't have cable uh, television. I don't know what game of Thrones is really it, yeah. about, but I've heard some of them read some of the same articles you have, but assuming there's nudity and, and sex in it, uh, you know, would you let your 10 year old watch those sex scenes? If not, then at least begs the question, why is it okay for dad to watch the sex scenes? And I would just caution us to be careful that we're probably going to be playing some games in our def- defense of why that's okay for dad to watch it. Um, hmm. That's really good. I, I'm curious as a pastor, when you preach about those things, when you go through and you're talking about, for example, we mentioned first Corinthians, got a guy's having an inappropriate relationship with a stepmother and um, sexual sin and battling those things. Is there ever a part of you that says maybe the reason the church has failed on dealing with sex and things like that is because pastors don't want to put images in people's head and they don't want to talk about it while they're preaching from God's word, even though God's word mentions it. But I mean, is that ever part of your worry? Like, I don't want to get too specific here, you know? Uh, Certainly others have that, have that concern. I don't share that concern as much because um, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I try not to be unnecessarily explicit about any of it mm-hmm. in a, in a whole congregation setting in you know, marriage classes or whatever, we might get into more details, but um, I don't know how you would go through Rome or first Corinthians seven and make it alluring and sensuous. <laughs> I mean, if you're handling it correctly uh, just the act itself of a man sleeping with this woman 
you should be scribing it in such a way that it's abhorrent to God and it's wicked and it's sinful that even the pagans regarded it as sinful, as Paul said. Um, I don't, I don't know why you should be concerned that that's going to arouse somebody. Paul didn't seem to care because the letters written to Corinth, for instance, were intended to be read to the whole congregation. So he didn't seem to be concerned with what he said there being mm-hmm. unnecessarily arousing. Think about what he goes on to say in the same chapter. Uh, don't withhold yourself from your spouse. That's that's defrauding her or him. That's stealing and robbing. He has no shame in saying, if you are withholding your body from your spouse, you are committing a crime here. And he's not thinking, oh no, what do people misunderstand and, and now it's arousing the teenagers in the in the room that kind of thing right. so i don't really get too wrapped up about it on on the sin passages song of solomon would be a different different story mm-hmm. uh and proverbs 5 6 you know somewhere in there maybe but uh on the sin issue got to be able to it's out there everywhere on screen and in real life it's sin and if that's arousing to somebody well there's some other things going on in their hearts maybe yeah, and you look at the list of, and uh, I was just listening to a message a couple of weeks ago um, on Colossians three. Uh, some of the things that you know we are called to put aside or put away. Um, a couple of those things are dealing specifically with sexual issues, and you've got to address that. I just don't know how you gloss over those words. I mean, the word pornania, right, is used there, so you've got to it's kind of obviously you can draw one to one to where we get the word pornography so yeah but it's different and this is a struggle because mm-hmm. uh of interpretation because pornea is dealing with a wide swath of sexual activity and we're talking about looking at images and then that goes back to the perennial debate of you know would you ever do you take your kids to art museums and is it is it pornography or is it art Right. Uh, to see a, a scantily clad or you know naked person up there and everyone debates that is that is there a way for nudity to be non-sexual? Probably not for a 14-year-old boy. Um, I, so all of those things. And, and that's why I say the line, I don't, I, I hope nobody's hearing me say, I'm not excusing. I am not saying all of this to give actually more freedom than some may give. What I'm trying to say is when we draw a line and say no rated R movies, that is so easy then to say, great. I will decide not to watch rated R movies. But if I watch this PG-13 movie and it's got nudity, which all the PG-13 movies of the 80s did, mm-hmm. you'll you'll realize this when you when your daughters get older and you say, oh, let's go watch this great movie from the 80s. And then you forgot how uh, how much sex and uh, innuendo there is. And it's like, oh, what am I doing? Right. So it, it's not as simple as drawing a line and saying we're not going to watch rated R movies. It's what's going on in your heart. Would you do this in good conscience uh, before the Lord? One of my uh, seminary professors, Del Tackett, some of our listeners may know who that is, uh, Truth Project. Yeah. Uh, He talked about how he was uh, helping a young man work through his battle with pornography, meaning obviously helping him fight it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, you don't really have as much of a lust problem as you do a theology problem. Mm. And the guy's like, what? He says, you don't really believe in the omnipresence of God. Yes, I do. And he started defending the omnipresence of God. And Dr. Tackett said, no. Because you wouldn't look at that if you believed that God was sitting there with you. And, you know, I don't know that that was the magic potion that suddenly he's no longer struggling with the issue, but it's he's basically bringing the question, can you in good conscience do this, knowing that God is watching that? Um, So can you watch this movie? Can you watch this television series? And I would say one more thing about it. You know, nudity might be an easy. Nope, we should never watch nudity fine. And, I, and I'm good with that. 
But what about just the other sexual things, even if it's not nudity? Uh, someone recently was talking about, I think it was The Office. Uh, I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes here, uh, but this woman described The Office as wholesome. I said, wait a minute, wholesome? I haven't watched, I don't think I've watched an entire episode, mm -hmm. but I know plenty of people have had or ha have, and I know enough the storyline. Like, are you telling me there's not people sleeping with people who are not their spouse? And there's not gratuitous sexual dialogue and all those kind of things. Oh no, there's there's fornication, there's adultery implied, right. right? In the in the relationships, wholesome. Is anybody calling those things sinful in, in the show? No. Okay, so wholesome is not the word that I would want to use to describe that television show. Mm -hmm. Now, compared to Game of Thrones, it might be, but we're not comparing it to Game of Thrones. We're comparing it to Jesus' standards. So I probably made a lot of people mad. So you can send us nasty texts and emails, but uh, just some things to maybe raise some questions. Well, and it comes back to every show you've ever liked. It makes uh, sometimes double entendres or single entendres, if you will. Um, you know, I do remember I had a journalism professor in school who joked, you know, friends is not real life. You have these six people don't make a lot of money living in super nice apartments in New York and sleeping with each other. Nothing's bad happening. This was like 1999. He's like, when was the last time Rachel came into the room and said, oh, I'm late. Right. It finally did happen about five years into the show. But he's right. Historically, TV never shows the downside, the negativity, the problem with premarital sex or affairs or things like that. It really plays up more. The two beautiful people getting into a bed together and it's great. Right. And then they wake up and they're happy. And so it's just like, if you're putting that image in your head over and over or to your kids, especially your teenagers, they're going to have this distorted view of what sex is about. So that's why I think parents need to be on guard of what they're watching, what they're teaching. And I really do think churches have not done, I'm not saying the ones I've been to are yours, but it would be better if churches didn't skirt over the importance of a waiting till you're married and b what sex means and what it's about. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I've watched some of those shows as well. Um, and I, so, you know, is that sin? I don't know. I, and I, again, I'm not your judge, right? but I do think it comes back to a good question. I wouldn't have let my 10 year old watch friends. Um, then why is it okay for dad to watch friends? It may be okay. It may be different. Uh, maybe I can differentiate those things, but let's again, not kid ourselves. We've got a couple of very attractive women here who are willing to have sex with all kinds of people uh, and their roommates or whatever. Uh, if I remember the show, like I said, I haven't seen very many friends, mm -hmm. but how easy is it for your mind to go there and wish you could be in a situation like that? Well, now you're really going down a path that, that can't be pleasing the Lord. So I just think we got to be careful about the games that we play. But I, but again, I want to go beyond just the sexuality. Uh, one time when our kids were very, very young, two, three, four in there, we were at a hotel room and uh, turned on the television to a cartoon channel. I think, uh, not sure it was a Disney channel, but a cartoon right. channel uh, for a few minutes. And I, I forget now even why, but it was some ducks. It wasn't like Daffy Duck or Donald Duck, but some other ducks. And they were just ripping on their parents, Mama Duck. Mm. and sarcastic and disrespectful. And after three minutes, we shut it off. I don't want my kids watching that. 
Um, which raises the whole question, Simpsons. I haven't seen a single yeah. episode of The Simpsons, so I'm I'm out of touch with all this. But I understand there's lots of profane view of everything and disrespect and all that. And, you know, is that is that satire? Is it I, I'm not I'm not your judge. So please, everyone who's listening, don't don't assume that I'm taking a full position on all these things. I'm just trying to ask get us to ask the right questions. Uh, to help us work through this rather than just the line, as you described at the beginning. Eh, it's not as simple as that in most of these cases. All right. We've dealt with the video side of things or the visual side of things. What about the things are going well here in this house? Cause you can't tell for a second. <laughs> what about the physical active side of things, meaning drinking or things like that? Um, say you're a heavier person. You can probably technically have more drinks than someone else before you are no longer of your wits. Um, Paul tells Timothy, take wine for your stomach. Right. And so Jesus turned water into wine and it was good wine. It doesn't, he's like, Hey, you're, why are you serving the best now? Right. So the alcohol question, we're not getting into that part. We know that's a freedom thing, but when does drinking become a sin is having a shot, a sin, Oh, what's the difference? You have one drink, you have one beer, you have it. You know what I mean? So what's the struggle there for people who um, like wine, like beer, like whiskey? A lot of Christians love their scotch whiskey and scars. Think they're Charles Spurgeon, right? <laughs> so uh, Martin Luther the, would go have a drink of ale at the local pub. So what do we do with alcohol itself for those Christians that are okay with drinking? Yeah, it's a... It's a good question as, as well. And, and again, I don't think it can be as simple as here's the line. You can have one drink, you can five drinks, three drinks, whatever, because there's so many factors. You mentioned the weight, there's the uh, how often you drink and your tolerance level there, uh, all those kind of things. Uh, again, the, uh, we, we know the Bible says drunkenness is sin. What it doesn't tell us is how many drinks make you drunk and where can we determine what drunkenness is. Uh, and, and as people drink, their ability to evaluate whether or not they are drunk is diminished, right? right? So it's just a, it's hard. So again, I would kind of look at it like this, similar to the other question. Would I want this person to drive my child home? Mm. Uh, if a person never drinks, has never had a drink in his life, and he has a beer, I wouldn't want that person driving my child home no. because their tolerance level is, is nil. And that beer is going to have a big impact. If they drink two beers every day, then they have a beer. Yeah. That's probably not going to affect right. them. So that's kind of the starting place uh, in my mind is would I entrust my children to this person to drive that's home? If not, question. then they should probably stop drinking uh, in my mind. Again, I'm not their judge, but uh, for my own sake, um, you know, that's, would I be comfortable driving out? But again, I'm not the one. If, as soon as you have a beer, you're like, uh, yeah, I'll be fine. Have another one. Well, you're not the best person to decide this. No. So you kind of need to make that decision before you have your drink. Okay. I'm going to have one drink and cut it off. I have two drinks and that's it. Um, but again, we play games with ourselves. Oh, I'm fine. Right. It's over a three hour period. So I'm good. As opposed to one hour period. I think where my, uh, would want to take this topic would be the something bad happens the uh you hear bad news sports team loses your uh i don't know anything i need a drink right like oh, i just need a drink so yes. in in that topic to me now 
that's the real struggle. Are you doing it because it makes you feel better? Are you doing it because it's numbing your pain? Mm-hmm. Um, you live in Colorado. I think it's legal here in Arizona. I have no clue. I know when we were in California, because weed, people like, I just need to calm mm-hmm. myself down. We could tie it in with that. What do we do with that thought process? Yeah, and that's where the whole medical marijuana idea came from. Um, I, as far as pot goes, I I just don't know. It, it, it I want to go to Ephesians 5, don't let anything control you except the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're if you're looking to any kind of drug to heal you, to to give you that whatever. At the same time, people say, well, you know, I, I take this other stuff. I take supplements, you know, even non-drugs. I take these supplements and they help with the body chemistry and all that. Uh, so again, these are all very difficult, difficult questions. I drink I think coffee a, or I get a headache, right? Right. So, yeah. Right. I need coffee to, uh, to get a lot of stuff done in the day. Well, I mean, I joke about it all the time. I call coffee, the nectar of the Holy spirit. And mm-hmm. I'm convinced the apostles had the coffee or else they wouldn't have gotten as much done and all that. I joke about that. I don't really you know, believe any of that, of course. And, and I think if we are dependent on coffee, that's probably not good either. So the question you're asking is the right one. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Am I looking to this substance to do something that the spirit of God should do? You know, the Bible Alcohol is a, a reviving celebratory drink. It, it uh, makes our heart glad. The Psalm says it's used as, as you mentioned at weddings, it's time of celebration. Um, when the, the woman in song of Solomon says your love is better than wine. She is saying that my uh, sexual relationship with you is better than wine, which right. in that culture, wine was a, it was a, again, it was a reviving thing. It, they didn't look at it as, as a depressant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked at it as a, as a, a celebratory thing. And she's saying making love to you is even better than wine. Um, so that, that tells us what the, how the ancient world looked at it, drowning our sorrows, you know, the typical country song, mm-hmm. uh, idea. There's a tear is, in my beer. Cause I'm crying. Yeah. Is that good? Are we going to a substance that in place of grieving like we should are we going to substance instead of depending on the holy spirit yeah i think a lot of people do and that's why they get hooked on it and that kind of thing so the purpose why am i drinking uh plays into this big time as well yeah and um you know i know enough about having dealt with people who are recovering addicts and stuff you know the 12 steps they were developed by nuns i believe so um the reason it talks about appealing to a higher power and and Mm -hmm. things like that um the problem is when I think every doctor and scientist and whomever would say this, right? Trust the science. It's a choice for a while. Does it become an addiction? Yes, but it is a choice early on. And I think Mm. we would all acknowledge the choices are what lead to the addiction. And Mm. so that's why we need to, when we see someone say like, Hey, I think you've, what's been going on there. You know, like um, I see it with spouses and, and husbands and wives who go through things. They're like, Oh, I just need, I'm like, Dude, that's like her fifth drink. Everything okay over there? Like mm-hmm. maybe if it's a one-off, I mean, it still doesn't excuse it, but like last three times we've been hanging out, I've noticed that she's twisting an awful lot of bottles open. What's going on? So, um, And Solomon just, addresses this yeah, in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I went full in exploring right. the madness and the folly of uh, partying mm-hmm. and, and alcohol. And he says, you know, it's, it's worthless. It's useless. It's folly. You still have the same problems when you sober up. Uh, and, and you're going to end up in the same place as, as everybody else. It's just, it's a, it's a waste of time. Dissipation with a headache. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, it does matter why you're doing it. And, uh, in addition to how much, 
Yeah. And I think uh, for Christians who, um, college can become a tough time for a lot of believers who seem strong. We see Christians walk away. I have noticed uh, there's no middle ground sometimes for a lot. There is, there is occasionally, I'm generally speaking here. Uh, there's no middle ground for people who profess to be Christians when they go to college. It either strengthens their faith or they realize mm. they were just around a good church and community and they have the same morals, but now they're like, ah, I'm good. I'm going to go do what I want. Um, that's why, you know, we strongly encourage people who are in college to get plugged into a church to it's why a lot of some of the bigger seminaries have stopped doing chapel on Sundays. They want you to be in a church. They want hmm. you to be involved. They want to make sure you're getting good accountability. And quite frankly, it's OK. You should go to someone when you're struggling in sin. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Like, I think I'm enjoying drinking too much. I need to avoid, you know, you pray for me. And I know it's as simple as stop it, but just pray for me because I'm like my friends I found, right? We're a good group and they always want to go out and watch Monday night football. And the next thing you know, we're there till 2 a.m. So dealing with those things. And I admit, I, I partied a little bit in college. I do not like where some of my years went. Thankful for God's grace and providence, bringing, bringing you back to repentance. And all you can do is pray for a person in that situation, you know? Um, but there has to become a point where you go, okay, this thing that I'm doing is sin. And this very thing I'm doing at this moment or what I'm praying repentance for put Jesus on the cross and poured out God's punishment that I was due on him. And I think you mentioned earlier, something we can do to avoid sinning God's omnipresence. I think remembering Jesus dying on the cross, paying for the very sin you're committing punishment is a good way to be reminded. Okay. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. or go there. Yeah, this offends God, mm -hmm. uh, right? And that's that's the question we're asking is, at what point have we crossed over to where this offends God? Right. Um, and to keep us maybe from going yeah. uh, too far is to have that in mind. Um, and, and you bring up another good point there. It For alcohol in particular, um, how many people mm -hmm. do things they would never have right. done sober and how many regrets the next morning uh, occur every day and every weekend in our nation by Christian people, these people professing to be Christians, because it started with alcohol. And yeah. you know, again, I think the purpose it comes back to purpose. We're, we're here at a wedding reception celebrating this uh, marriage. Right. Great. Having a glass of wine with your wife or whatever. Great. Fine. But just to party yeah. and you're around you know, especially you're there. And if you're not married, you're around a bunch of uh, other people who are drinking or you are married, but you're not, your spouse is not with you. Right. And uh, how many people have ruined their lives and done committed great sin mm. because it's, and it started with alcohol. Right. And I think that's the thing too. Like what I give us back to the question we asked, why are you doing this? What's the purpose? Mm -hmm. What's the, um, you know, what, and um, you know, I do, I respect a lot of pastors saying, I have no problem. Our Lord made wine and it was good wine. We just asked you, Watch your purpose. Why sometimes why churches offer both grape juice and wine, you know, they don't want to put people in a position. Although I got a joke. I am curious about the churches that now have like 15 different kinds of bread to accommodate there. <laughs> uh, we've got gluten free. We got whole wheat. We got this. I'm like, uh, I don't, you know, I don't recall that being an issue till the last five years. So as a man who's not a, a pastor or elder. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> All right, Doug, uh, we need to finish with the question we got from a guy who's caught up on all our podcasts. We appreciate it from the other side of the world, nevertheless, and we appreciate his question. Uh, as always, you can tweet us at Josh Copen at Doug Gooden or um, email Doug. Uh, Doug, what's your email address? 
Doug at crosstocron.org. Dot org and uh, Josh Copa 1981 at gmail.com. We appreciate those of you who have found us and emailed us. And so the question basically is, I live across the world in a place that has pretty harsh COVID restrictions. Um, at what point do I need to defy tyranny? We talked about this last week. And is this persecution? And so I did reply a little bit in the email. I felt like there's a difference between suffering and persecution. Um, I believe all Christian persecution is suffering, but not all suffering is persecution. So that's where I kind of would flow from that. So from that mindset, as a Christian who's being told, uh, you have to lock down, you can only be outside one hour a week or two hours a week if you've been vaccinated, um, can't meet in large gatherings, can't meet for church. Is that persecution? And at what point should a Christian flee that and go to a place that isn't persecuting them or are we supposed to stay and suffer because we're called to suffer? So, or we, not necessarily, but we are going to suffer. I don't know if that's a proper term. So how does one approach suffering and persecution? Yeah, again, a very, very difficult question. And I feel for my brother, uh, mm -hmm. we're not that far down here in, in America as they are in Australia um, uh, and other places, frankly, Europe. Um, so, you know, I can't totally relate. You can't totally relate. But it could be coming. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we know where, where this is all going. At least it looks like it's going. Tough question. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is uh, persecution uh, that the Bible speaks of is persecution against Christians. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what our brother there described is not persecution against Christians. They're not saying Christians have to stay in their house all but one hour a day. They're saying all citizens have to. Right. So it would be hard in my mind to look at that as religious persecution. Uh, as I understand it, Australia is an uh -huh. extremely secularized right. culture and nobody, the government's not doing this because it's full of a lot of Christians. Uh -huh. um, so I wouldn't look at it as persecution in that sense. Uh, so that puts it back to a freedom uh, under the law. What is the what's required? I, I think if I remember his email correctly, he was even kind of saying, you know, we could relocate, right. maybe that go to my question. Yeah. Yeah. Nation. If uh, mm -hmm. that doesn't have the same restrictions. And, and if I, if I recall what he said correctly, uh, he said, he felt like that would be maybe abandoning his post mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I've heard other right. questions say that, boy, I, I don't know. I don't see anything in the Bible that says stay where you are, that you can't move to another place mm -hmm. just because it's getting hard. Right. We see the early church, right? Persecution, real persecution came on them. And man, they, they ran, got out yeah. of Jerusalem in a hurry. So I don't, I don't see that we're required to stay here. If you can go to a country that's free, freer, then go. You may not find yeah. one very, very easily. Um, so I, in my mind, it, it's not persecution, but there's no requirement to stay either. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, until then, I would say you need to submit. I, I need to read Doug Wilson's article that we referred to last week about yes. the um, the uh, fake vaccine, vaccine mm -hmm. IDs and get his rationale for why that's okay. Um, it, that, that's, that's a hard question. But yeah. another piece of this, I just saw a, an article today where a, a doctor um said the reason we're having all these variants, these COVID variants is because of the vaccine and she's being shunned and, mm -hmm. and canceled and all of that. And, but there's plenty of medical folks out there that are saying that kind of thing. So the more that gets out and then is squashed, that says the vaccine could decrease fertile fertility. It could be causing all these uh, variants and so on. At some point you think we, we have as a nation to respond, right. but that's a national citizen thing more so than a Christian thing, at least as I understand the question. 
Well, and I think the issue we're gonna have to go in case you can't hear the the household <laughs> is breaking down here <laughs> when uh, Daddy's playing Mr. Mom for the day. Um, is that um, I, I just feel like Christians who are um, truly being persecuted, like you said, from a biblical standpoint, comes a to Christians only. Um, the threat is arrest or loss of life. That's not kind of happening yet around the world. I mean, in Canada, you were more likely to be arrested, but the policy was in place for everybody, like you said. So weren't allowed to That's meet. Not, that is not to downplay, you know, yeah. the, the difficulty for our yeah. brother there. Uh, I'm just, he's, he's asking a biblical question uh, about persecution, and I don't know if this fits that mold. Um, but uh, it doesn't mean it's uh, easy and, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't, it's, it's coming for all of us. If things keep going the way they're going, it, yeah. we're all going to have to make these decisions. I apologize for the chaos at the end of the show. <laughs> I am suffering That's today, cute. long suffering <laughs> when uh, mommy has to be out for a day and daddy's got to do things. So, but anyway, so we, uh, it's when you have twins too, man. And by the yes. way, let me tell you something. You talk about sin nature. All right. They're fighting over a toy. So I remove one of them because this one had it first and give her a new toy. Well, this one then sees that toy and goes over and try and takes the other toy that she I'm like, you can't tell me total depravity isn't real. I remember I saw Jerry Seinfeld uh, perform comedy in like 2005 or six. He goes, we don't teach them the lie. How do they learn that? How do they learn that? He's like, you were. Were you pooping? No, no, I wasn't really. Because just three seconds ago, you were cl clinching the coffee table with all your might and grunting. Of course you were pooping. It's just like no one teaches them that. No one goes out of their way to teach their kids lying. They know it. They know they're doing something wrong. Where do you think that comes from? Anyway, so, all right, Doug, for fathers who need patience, for you, for me, for everybody, um, the number one thing they can do in a tough situation especially is to look to the Lord. And what is that? Live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. 